Go ahead and raise your hand, and our pastor and uh, will pass out some Bibles to you guys. And uh, my man uh, Johnny, one of our leaders, will also do the same. Uh, excited to be back with the crew. A lot has gone on um, the last couple of weeks. I know you guys talked briefly about uh, the sad journey in um, South Carolina. I know we've uh, <laughs> that was sad and cr- crazy. Also, the craziness right now, um, which has been a discussion for a while, but it's kind of seemed like it's hitting the uh, the head right now. Where having a flag come down in South Carolina. Uh, people climbing the pole and, and just being very forthright about uh, just the symbolic uh, reality of that and, and seeing the governor and the president and, and seems like hopefully a matter of time before we just recognize that as a country, as a, as a whole, uh, that whether it's not about dishonoring what soldiers have done, but man, saying that the cause is wrong, you know, the whole slavery deal. And so seeing that whole thing has been crazy this week in our local, in our, in our, in our country. Um, and then there's a decision uh, that, that many of you know about that, you know, again, we, we, we try to be wise in our local body um, as we are, are leading uh, to be careful about what we're presenting to our young people. And so that's why, uh, you know, with our five-year-olds and our six-year-olds, uh, we're not, we weren't talking about the whole concept of same-sex marriage and those things, okay? Because we, um, we want to be wise about what people are, what we're catechizing, what we're training our kids in, amen? Um, but now, we, you know, we have um, our... Our adults here, we have kids who, you know, their parents are saying, we want you to be here. And so I want to just process that a little bit. I mean, the reality is some of you guys don't know. We want to make sure you're understanding uh, that our Supreme Court has passed uh, and made it basically has usurped the authority of the states and said, hey, we're going to uh, make it a, a mandate that we need to be able to marry um, individuals of the same sex. All right. Um, and there's a lot of discussion uh, that's happening right now. Um, and the reality is, uh, what we want to do, we're, we're actually considering it as elders, uh, when we, when we're done with the Acts, uh, a series, which will be at the end of July, we're going to do a series on doctrine. And so one of the series we were really, cons- one of the, the topics we're considering on doing for that week, that month is, uh, homosexuality and just processing that theologically, right? Um, and so you can be praying for us as we think through what's the best, what's the best doctrines to tackle, um, but until then, I want to uh, just encourage you guys, and you can write you can write some of these down if you desire. Actually, um, just some blogs I, I think that are really helpful as you're kind of trying to process information, um, as you're thinking about like as you want to be intelligent and be able to discuss and and hopefully uh, hear some insight from a uh, from an evangelical reformed view. Uh, one uh, one I think that's really is really helpful uh, is by a guy named Albert Moeller. If you guys are familiar with him, uh, the the blog I'm in mean, the beginning of it was like every everything has changed, nothing has changed. Uh, is which you can write that down and, and check that out. He is uh, uh, the acting president of of, um, of Southern, actually where where Ethan will be heading. And uh, it's a pretty pretty good article that I want to encourage you uh, to check out. Uh, there's another one uh, that really discusses uh, the issue. Uh, it's called the only decision that matters. Um, and actually, I have a copy of that here, 
And we're going to probably put these on online. And if you also want a copy, we'll probably have some copies for you guys the next couple of weeks. And our heart, again, uh, we, is, to, is to make sure that you're informed and that you can kind of process and be able to talk and think through these issues and that we can have conversations in our MAG group and how do we discuss in an honorable way that honors Jesus but also loves people who have the same gender attraction, right? How do we talk to individuals in a way where we don't come off antagonistic, we don't come off arrogant, but we come off loving and truthful, right? Um, probably my, my favorite uh, discussion on the matter thus far has been a, a, a blog by, and you, you, it's no secret, I, I really like uh, John Piper's writings, so, you know, so don't be surprised that he's one of my favorites here. Um, it's called uh, So-Called Same-Sex Marriage, Lamenting the New Calamity. So you can write that down. And so-Called Same-Sex Marriage, Lamenting the New Calamity. What I love about the way he positions it, and you know he can be pretty fiery, but he had, I feel like this particular uh, post uh, is truthful, but is really ca- kind. And the one thing I love about it, and this is how we discuss, because I think this is a biblical discussion here, uh, is that when you talk about homosexuality, he focuses not on the act, but he focuses on idol worship. And, and that the issue is um, we all have our idols, right? We all have our idols, and he makes it clear uh, that what, the difference between uh, the believer many times and individuals who want to kind of what we're seeing today is we we're not le- we're not legislating our idols like we're we're repenting of them and we're kind of sad and we're continually fighting them and we're not saying we're going to make we're going to free ourselves to be able to do them as a law that makes sense uh so i want to and again i know this is a touchy subject and i know I don't, and I don't even know what everybody thinks but my role as pastor is not really care is to want to be faithful to what god thinks and to share with you and, and to help equip and train you guys to be able to think rightly about this issue of, of same-sex marriage. So uh, that one also, we'll have copies for you next week. And it'll be up on, on our website as well as we discuss those things. Uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll end that, that brief discussion by saying, um, I love this one dude, you know, he was, just, he was just processing, he was saying, at the end of the day, uh, this is actually, um, it's a blessing in disguise because, like, God isn't surprised. Like, you know, we as Christians, something like this happens. We gather together and we really try to think about what we think and well, how we're going to process it. And God isn't, like, calling, like, emergency meetings. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't go, oh, oh go, get, go get the rest of the Trinity. We need the Trinity in here right now. Like, he, right? Where's the Holy Spirit? Playing ball. Get him in here. Like, right? That's not God, right? God isn't tripping, right? God is like, I'm sovereign, and I already told y'all what was going to jump off, right? And so what's cool is actually this is an opportunity for the church to be the church, right? And I like it because in a sense now, some, many of us, you know, we can hide behind a periphery of our cultural moral compass, kind of. But the more and more the culture starts saying we want to worship ourselves, you're going to have to say I'm going to either worship God or I'm going to worship myself too. So the sad reality it just, it just, you know, really what happened, it was God saying it's own. You know what I'm saying? That's what happened. God's like, it's own. Y'all ready to do this? Y'all, y'all, y'all ready to be Christian? <laughs> right? So praise the Lord. Always remember, persecution is not an enemy of the church. It exalts Christ. All right? So think about that as we even look at our man Paul. Praise God. Good segue because we get to look at Mr. Persecution. Right? <laughs> see, persecution, you see Paul in a dictionary like this. You know what I'm saying? So, so 
You know, I don't have time to go through. Uh, my, one of our elders last week did a great job uh, going through. You know, we, every once in a while, we'll, we'll take you through the beginning of Acts all the way through just to kind of catch you up. But if we do that every week, we'll be here for a, for a while. So we're not going to do that today. We're going to jump right into Acts 26. Sorry if you're a visitor. But prayerfully, <laughs> you will still be encouraged and, and the gospel will be clear even through this time. And that's not going all the way back. Um, we'll just let you know right now, uh, we've been going for a few weeks now, just seeing Paul be in prison and being, um, being tried and having many opportunities to recant his faith and experience freedom, um, to the dismay of God, but instead he's choosing to continue to remain truthful. He's in prison. He's, he's being asked by individuals, uh, like, why, like, you know, explain your case. He's explaining his case. His case is gospel-centered. These guys don't know what to do with him because he's continually showing that there's absolutely no reason why they got him in prison because he's talking to the Jews. He's like, I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. The very things I'm telling you, the things I'm proclaiming about this Jesus person are the things that we've seen in scriptures. Why are you holding me in prison, right? So this is where, this is where we are. We've seen, we've seen this guy be the Pharisee among Pharisees. We're going to see this in a moment. He's persecuted the church, gets saved, starts preaching the gospels, almost gets killed three or four times during our time of studying in Acts. Uh, right now, he's, um, he's been sent to Caesarea, and they're trying to, and now he's about to enter into a discussion uh, with King uh, Agrippa, right? So that's what we're going to see, a vassal king. And what I want you guys to think about is as you're looking at this passage, all right, family, I want you to think about uh, the concept of hope, right? I want you to think about the concept of, of faith, all right? Just think about the concept of love. And I want you to remember this is happening in history. And so remember, at this point, Paul has written, what, uh, many, he's written a few books. He's written Galatians by now. He's written First Thessalonians by now. He's written uh, First. I want to propose, I think he's written 1st and 2nd Corinthians by now, and he's written Romans. So doctrine's kind of firmed up. Isn't that cool? So you, you, got, you got deep Paul now, all right? <laughs> all right, and, and he's here, and, and the people of God are, are, are hearing wind of this doctrine, and the things, the very words that we're reading, they're, they're getting these stories and things of that sort, and, you're, and they're seeing this. How do you think they're responding? Remember, this is going out to the first century Jew, the first century Christian, the Greek who's a believer, and they're getting this word. Uh, they're experiencing persecution. Nero has now risen up. He's on the scene. I mean, we're about uh, less than a decade away from them totally destroying the temple and is disseminating uh, Ju- uh, Jerusalem, okay? So we're talking about, we're talking about it's starting to get heated. It's, man, it's kind of like what we just talked about, <laughs> right? It's, it's getting real. Persecution's happening. It's not cool to be a Christian. All right. With that said, we're going to jump in to verse 1. Before I do that, let me give you a little snapshot real quick. You got this King Agrippa dude. He's a vassal king. I'm going to explain that to you real quick. Uh, he's one of the characters here. A vassal king is a guy who basically Rome is in control of the whole known world. To give you a little history lesson. And, and, and basically, he's not the emperor. But what the emperor does is he has these vassal kings all over the place. Uh, people uh, within their people group who can kind of help make sure the people are under control, basically. 
And so what they're saying, instead of like destroying all the people in a people group, they say, we're going to keep some of y'all because we want to have, we want to have a big population and we get money from you and all these kind of things. And so what we'll do, we'll find a guy or, or an individual there who can, who will take a little hush money and who will like power. And we'll say, you keep your people under control and we won't kill y'all basically. Okay. In a nutshell. And so, um, this vassal king, this was this guy, King Agrippa, and he was, he was allowed to run the, the temple, and he was allowed to appoint priests, and so he had kind of power within the Jerusalem realm, but that was about it, okay? That's this guy. And Festus, um, who was the governor over that area, kind of gets a visit by the king, which was briefly discussed last week, and Festus is kind of frustrated, right? Because Festus is trying to figure out, how do I get out of this mess? I got this guy, Paul, here, who's done absolutely nothing wrong, and, if, if, and as he's preaching the gospel, if I do something to him, the people are going to be mad because he's talking about he's affirming the law and the prophets, Right? But if I don't do something to him, then the, the, the few that are dissenting are going to be frustrated too, and they're going to try and get me dethroned. So he doesn't know what to do. So he's excited that this King Agrippa guy comes because he's going to try to push Paul off on him. They say, well, why don't you kind of deal with it? Maybe his guy is smarter than me, this king, and he'll find something wrong with Paul, and then we can all get off scot-free. That's, that's my, so I'm, I'm perceiving that's what's going on here. That's not in the text, but it's interesting. Festus sees this king come. And he's like, hey, let me tell you about Paul. Hey, share your case with this guy. Because Paul didn't have to share his case, by the way, with King Agrippa. Right? Why? Because he's already appealed to Caesar. He's a Roman. He's already shared his case. He can say, I ain't talking to you. I'm going to, go, I'm going to Caesar. But he does so anyway. Even ask yourself, why does he do that? Why does Paul do that? As you're reading through the text, as you're reading the Bible, always be a good question asker. Ask the questions. What's going on here? Why? How? Okay. Well, we start off in verse 1. It says, so Agrippa said to Paul, this uh, guy who used to persecute Christians, now he's this believer. He, they're, figuring, they're trying to figure out a way. We, you know, we've looked for weeks where he's had Jews traveling around trying to find out a way to get this guy killed because he's, he's talking about Christ and he's worshiping Jesus and people are coming to faith and walking with God and saying that the, the emperor is not my king, Jesus is my king. We've got to figure out something to do with this guy. And, and the Jewish people are just mad. That's kind of the The Jewish people are mad because he's like, you're spitting in the face of Yahweh. Like you're talking about this Jesus guy and, it's, and they're frustrated. They don't know what to do with this guy. And so King Agrippa said to Paul, uh, hey, you have my permission to speak because he's presented Paul to King Agrippa to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense in verse two. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today because against all the accusations of the Jews, which is interesting, we don't even have the Greeks tripping right now, right? They're not even focused. It's the Jewish people who are upset, Especially because you are familiar with all the custom and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me. So it seems like uh, Paul is kind of being very wise again. He's kind of appealing to his Jewishness, right? Because King Agrippa was a Jew. Even though he was a Roman and all, and all of his aspects of selling out, he's really a Jew. And so he knows what's going on. He's been around. He's read Torah, right? He knows what's up. And so he's saying, I'm, you know, I'm glad I get to talk to you. Because you're going to, hopefully you're going to help me here. Why? Because I know you're a Roman guy, but also I know you're a Jew. 
So, so I know you're going to, hopefully you're going to know the history, but you're not going to have all that baggage that these super Jewish people got because you're kind of a sellout too, right? So you probably look at it a little more objectively as a Jew, informative versus like a Jew steeped in tradition, right? And he says, uh, verse four, my manner of life from my youth. So he gives this Testimony. Don't you love this? So how many times, y'all, have we seen this man give his testimony in Acts? Right? I mean, man, if, if, first, I'm hoping in our local body, when we go through books, man, that you can always go back to a book and just kind of see and kind of just remember what we're talking about and kind of see the framework. Because this is retelling the story. Over and over again, as we see this testimony piece. Man, I hope that encourages us the importance of testimony. I mean, he's brilliant. He's, I told you he wrote those books that we read every day, Right? And you know what he he doesn't he doesn't keep quoting Romans six, he just keeps quoting his life. He keeps sharing like look what God did. And he'll throw some he'll throw some doctrine on that, but he he testifies. Look what God is doing. Look what God did. Look what he says here. My manner of of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. I won't be able to comment on everything because we've gone deeply over some of these things in other in other sermons. So I just ask you to check back. Uh, He says, and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. He says, hey, guess what? You guys know. I love what he he starts there. He says, hey, what I'm talking about here, again, we talked about the reality that these people knew Paul. Remember? Because remember, we we, we think, again, if we're not pausing and really thinking about the reality of history, we look at Paul and we think, oh, so it's kind of like the Jews were like Paul, and then they became Christians. That's not the case. Paul was like the Pharisee among the Pharisees. Paul was one of the very few people who was actually going, casting his pebble in a Sanhedrin to have Christians killed. My point is, he was probably one of the more popular Pharisees because he was out there causing drama for Yahweh, right? And it says here, so you, the Jews know about me. It's known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, verse 4, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest part of our religion, I have little as a Pharisee. He says, hey, you know how, you know how we are as people. He says, look, I know people can kind of go, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember what happened. But if people are honest, you know, you know how they, you, you've had that sometimes with friendships, right? It's like, if you're honest, man, you know I could beat you in basketball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. Right? He's like, look, he's like, look, y'all see me, y'all know me. If you're honest, you know, if you're really honest on the Pharisees, that I was, I was, I was kind of the man. Right? I was the strictest of the, of the Pharisees. I was kind of the right of the right wing. Right? He says, you guys know that. If you would admit it. He says, remember, you know, I study over a Gamaliel. Remember, we talk about that over and over again. Why? Because I'm proposing to you guys in that day and age, you knew who studied under who especially when it was the big dogs. This is one of the top uh, philosopher theologians of the day, right? And this guy was taught by him. And he's saying, you, you know that. Verse 6, and now I stand here on trial. I love this. So, so you know I am, I'm a strict Jew. I was serious. I got Christians killed. That was my deal. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and a promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O king. Let me pause there for a moment. You see what he's doing there? 
You see how his language? I love the language. I pray that we can, we can learn that and continue to learn how to discuss even Christianity in our culture. Because he realizes I'm dealing with Jewish people, and so I want to make sure I'm very clear. He says, hey, I'm being on trial for talking about the very things that you believe. Like, this is what you believe. The God of our forefathers. I, you, I'm being on trial because I'm saying I believe the Bible. <laughs> That's what he's saying to them. He's saying I, the promises that were made to our forefathers, I just took God serious. <laughs> I took God serious. Right? I love he says, to which the 12 tribes hope and attain and earnestly worshiping day and night. For what? What are the promises he's talking about? Verse 8, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? See what he's doing there? He's saying, this is, this is, part, this is like, this is OOT 101. Like, this is what the prophets talked about. Like, why are y'all surprised that God raises the dead? We talked about this. Remember? We talked about value to dry bones. Remember this stuff? Remember we used to always play, you know, hopscotch and back in the day and we talked about that? He's like, what's going on? Well, what, what did God tell the Jews? What were the promises, guys? Write some verses down. Isaiah 9, verses 5 and 6. I'm just going to give you some famous ones, you know. For every boot of the trampling warrior is battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Micah, two, Micah 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. I love that. I love God says, I'm going to let you know where the dudes going to come from. The little town. It's an obsolete town, which should make your eyes perk up a little bit. Right? I mean, it'd be a little harder if he says, oh, you people of New York City. It's like, well, people always talk about New York City. Nobody talk about Bethlehem. You know what I'm saying? Nobody talk about, Yeah. It's like talking about, you know, you're here in Detroit and you're talking about Shaker, Shaker Heights. You know, the Clevelanders know what's up. You think people in Detroit know about Shaker Heights, brother? No. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Right. He says, he says, look, from you shall come forth for me. This is verse two through five. One who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth from, is from of old, from ancient days. Verse 3, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is labor is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. You hear this? And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He's saying, these are the promises that I'm kind of just saying, God said these things. Why am I being put in jail for what we've always believed, right? You know, we talk, we talk about the issue of common ground. This isn't in my notes. But yeah, when you share your faith, I mean, especially in this community, you know, talk about it from this perspective of common ground, right? When there's certain aspects, it's like, look, we know we all believe this, all right? So how can you say this, <laughs> Right. Uh, and like, for example, in our community, a lot of uh, a lot of African-Americans will say they believe the Bible. 
So I want to propose to you, use that by God's grace to quote the Bible and show like, okay, if you, if you believe the Bible and I'm in a, I'm in a barbershop and, and there's porno pictures all around, help me understand when scriptures are saying in 1 Corinthians 7, blah, 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 see what I'm saying? And so now we say, well, this, you, you say you believe this to be true. Well, God is saying this is how we're supposed to live under grace. Right? It says in verse 9. So he's kind of building his case with this Jewish guy who's kind of getting nervous, right? Because he wants to be, he's like, oh, yeah, I guess it's true. What do I do with this? Can you imagine God just kind of telling you like, yeah, man, the, you know, all the things you grew up with that your mama told you possibly, your daddy told you, you said you believe. That's what I've been doing. And I'm on trial for that. What, why is that king? King's like, I don't know. Right? Verse 9, I myself was convinced, and I love this. I love what he does here. I love this. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Because the apologetic could be, yeah, but now you think it's that Jesus, dude, that's our problem. It's not that we don't believe the prophets. It's that you think Jesus is fulfilling that. Right? So that's, that's my issue. Maybe that's the issue for the king. Right? Because that is the issue. Right? They would say, I believe that. Right? What I don't believe is that, is that Jesus is the one, that, that guy, the dead dude is the one who's fulfilling this. Well, he says, hey, I used to believe that too. So I, I, I get it. Right? He's not arrogant. He, he understands human nature. I get it, man. I, I was with you. Look at what he's doing here. He's talking about sovereignty and grace and the power of God here. So I love this. He doesn't attribute it like, oh, I gave you the facts. Why won't you come to Christ? Right? He's like, no, no, no. I get it. Verse 10. And I did so in Jerusalem. I was crazier than you. I actually, I actually went after Christians. I wanted them to, to die. I'm not only locked up. I, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests. We talked about that earlier. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. The picture of the Greek word there is that Paul literally probably in a Sanhedrin, they would, they would, they would cast a pebble. That they probably, He probably was one of the guys who said, okay, we need a few of you guys to say for this to be a quorum. And he said, I'll push this pebble in. I want you to kill these Christians. And I'm proposing one of the reasons this is not, I'm proposing one of the reasons he always talks about this. Because it's everywhere, right? And you've seen it as we look at Acts. Like, man, you, you probably didn't realize how much he talks about how he got Christians killed. But he talks about it a lot, right? I'm convinced that that always broke his heart. I'm convinced. I'm, I'm convinced he experienced God's grace and forgiveness, but I'm convinced in his heart he always thought, man, was I fighting for the wrong team? I'm convinced of it. He said, I, I got Christians killed, you know? But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in rage and fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Love that sense. Isn't that crazy? I just didn't try to persecute them and say, don't say that anymore. I tried to make them say the opposite. I tried to tell them, you need to say you don't like Jesus. (laughs) He's saying, your issue is my issue too. I get it. Part of Sanhedrin, I did the same thing. And he says, in this connection, I journey, verse 12, he started, now he starts talking about his testimony, the great change. He says, I was persecuting, but in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. He went to the chief priest. He says, I want to kill these guys. Would you give me authority? They gave him the papers to do so. These are the very same guys who are now trying to get him killed. 
And he says, at midday, O king, we went through this a couple weeks ago, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, I loved, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And remember uh, a few weeks back we talked about that reality, that he wasn't the only one that failed. And he was talking to the people. He was like, you know, there are people around who saw this. And guess what? The Bible is saying that when this thing happened, talk to Saul, but everybody failed. All right? So everybody was like, whoa, what just, jumped, what just happened here? Right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goals. This whole goal thing. Oh, man. I just, just think about that. It's, you know, this whole concept of, of, of Jesus, the Savior of the world, he, the very person he's, he's trying to just throw it out, all of a sudden speaks, right? And, and some of this whole gold piece, right? It's, it's, and, I, and I'm not a farmer, so I don't get this whole issue. What I do know is that there's like these spears where um, or when uh, an ox is trying, you're trying to kind of train an ox, usually they'll kick. And these goals are put in place so whenever they'll kick, they'll kind of stab the oxen. Right. So then they will learn quickly. Well, if I keep kicking, I'm going to keep getting hurt. So I probably should quit kicking and just obey because that's going to be easier for me. And what I love about that is a couple of things. First, I love that Jesus is saying that's the same thing that's happening to Paul, which means, Paul, you're losing the battle. See, I love that sense. It's not that, hey, Paul, I really need you because you're killing everybody. And so I'm going to make you a Christian because I want to win. He's like, no, Paul. I'm winning, right? I, you, you are just fighting a losing battle, Paul. And guess what? You probably should stop because it's going to keep hurting. So he says, why are you kicking against something that you can't, you can't fight against God? Which to me is such a beautiful thing as I think about even where we are today in our culture. Whatever is happening, God is like, I'm, again, I'm, I got this. I'm in control, Praise the Lord. And he says in verse, it's hard for you to kick it against the goals. Now, guess what? At that point, Paul still doesn't know who's talking to him. All right? He just experienced something supernatural. But then, uh, then he says, hey, well, hold up. Who, who are you, Lord? Because obviously you the Lord. You know, you're talking like that. You got all this on the ground here and I can't see. All right? And, and the Lord said, oh, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. I mean, I just want us to pause. I mean, we've, we've been over this testimony four or five times, but I just want us as a church to pause. Think about you're going out, you're trying to be faithful to Yahweh, you're getting Christians killed, you, you hear Jesus and you just, I mean, think of he's going, he's getting papers, he's trying, to, he's trying to thwart this thing out. And he's saying, who knocked me off my horse? Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You know, it's the guy, uh, you killed Steve, you know, you got Stephen killed. It's his boss. Is Jesus, the one you've been running around here acting crazy. And guess what, Paul? Can you imagine Paul thinking, I'm dead. It's over. He's like, no, I ain't going to kill you, Paul. I'm not going to kill you. I want, I want to use you for my glory. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm better than you. You would kill me, but I ain't going to kill you. That's how we are. We're evil humans. God is God. He's gracious, right? And so he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. Now, guess what? So that was huge for Paul. But it was also huge for them because he's saying, hey, you know what? I know you don't agree, but let me tell you what happened. So then the guy said it was Jesus. He's talking to the king. So 
I, I, was, I was like you. I was like, I was still going. I got off my horse. I couldn't see, but I thought I'm going to get back on my horse and keep my journey up. But then I asked the dude, who did this? And he told me it was Jesus. And he says, that changes everything. That changed everything. And I always talk about the movie. You've heard me say this, give this analogy. You ever heard the movie Sixth Sense? Have you ever heard of that movie? I'm getting old now, so the more people I say it, the more people don't see it because I'm getting old. So I got to find a new movie. I got to find a movie like Sixth Sense so I can be more culturally relevant. But, um, but it's a cool movie because what happens is you're watching the whole movie and, it start, and you don't know what's up with this one person until the end. And then something happens at the end of the movie which absolutely explains the whole movie. Like, so you don't, you, you're watching the whole movie and you're still missing a big part of it. And, and the ending gives you revelatory frame, a revelatory framework where you go, oh, so that's why Bruce Willis did this and that's why the kid did that and that's why Bruce Willis did this and that's why this happened and that's what it, right, right? And you're like, oh, I get it now. See, see what, see now the, the, the cultural lie in evangelicalism is that Paul was kind of stupid got saved, went out to the desert for three years to be trained by Jesus. That sounds really cool and spiritual, but I don't think that's biblical. He was a Pharisee. Brilliant. I told y'all he's written, he's written almost 13 books of the Bible, perhaps. Okay? I'll give him 10 for sure. Okay? All right? So think about it. What happened was six cents. That's what happened. When he fell off the horse and the dude, and Jesus said, is Jesus? He went, all that, all that Old Testament, all that stuff he knew, he started putting Jesus in it and going, so, oh, Jesus is Messiah there. Oh, Jesus is the one who's raising the value of dry bones. Oh, Jesus is the one who's... And he started filling in all the holes that he was thinking one day was going to be filled in by the Savior. Oh, he is the Savior. What he thought was going to happen at new creation, God said, I'm going to bring into the now, and it's going to happen in the now and in not yet. Blew him away. And he had a framework that he had to kind of change. That, that's happened to a lot of us, right? Happened to me. I think as a Christian it happens. You go through your whole life. I don't care if you're 10, 13, 25. I got saved when I was around 18, 19 years old. I had my whole framework, Pete. All of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. I get saved. I start reading the Bible, Rob. I'm like, man, I wasn't thinking like that before. Oh, now I see why God did this. Oh, now I see why that happened in my life. Oh, now I see why God wants me to do this. Oh, I, now I see why I feel bad when I do this. Oh, now I see, Right? And your life starts to actually make sense. You start going, that's what purpose. Well, look what happens here. The scripture says, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. All of a sudden, he starts going, oh, that's why God made me a Pharisee. And that's why I know this. And that's why God was doing this in the scriptures. And it says, to point you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, right? Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. The sin people of God, apostolos, right? One of the main frameworks that we talk about in scripture, purpose. What is my purpose? Why am I here? We look at young people, the two young brothers we're talking to. I wish the Holy Spirit would remind me to talk to those brothers about purpose, because people walk around, well, why am I here? Am I here just to make dough? Am I here to just have nice clothes? Like, what am I here for? And God is trying to tell you something here as we're talking directly to Paul. But he says the exact same thing to the disciples four different times in four different places all after the resurrection. He says, you know why you're here? You're here to be my sent people. You're here to be sent by God. 
that God is filling you with the spirit. He says, oh, now you've gone around thinking you're your own God. Then he wakes you up and you realize, no, God is God. I'm his servant. I'm his co-heir. I get to tell the world about Jesus and we get to build worshipers in his kingdom. And so my life, the essence of my life is not that I'm a lawyer or a psychiatrist or a carpenter or a truck driver or athlete. But the essence of my life is that I am a proclaimer of the gospel. It's the essence. If you are here right now and you say Jesus is my king, the main focus, the mode of operation is that you are a proclaimer of the good news to a world that is decreating. He said that to Paul, this is why you're here. You, 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 didn't, you didn't know that. That's why you're here. And look what he says here. I'm sending you, the sent people of God. Verse 18, so now you know. You have kids, but I got all these kids now. I can't share my faith. No, 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 no. See, now what's cool about that is you got in-house missional life. You get an opportunity to build image bearers in your crib. See, right, you, you know, some people, we have a hard time leading somebody to Christ. You know, you know, I look at my wife, you, know, you walk around, how many of you have led five people to Christ? Five. But guess what? I got five kids, praise them. We get an opportunity to lead five people, we get 18 years, by God's grace, to lead five people to Christ. Right? Now, we do a mission too, but don't get it twisted. No matter what you what are you doing, your framework is gospel. And look what he says here, verse 18, well, what you, what you going to do? To open their eyes so that they may turn away from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. This ain't nothing but the Great Commission, man. When we expire the Great Commission family, MacAv, when we expire the Great Commission, isn't that how we talk? <laughs> right? The word baptizo, identification, you identify with one body to another body. It ain't nothing but the Great Commission. You're taking people who are, who are in Satan's family. And God says, by his grace, I can hypnotize everybody and make them Christians, but I don't do that. Right? He says, well, by God's grace, I use people. And I'm telling you, James, I'm asking you to go and proclaim the gospel and see people be by your, used by you to see people turn from darkness to light. To believe in the family of Satan to the family of God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh. That they may receive forgiveness of their sin. You know, I love it. I love the fact, these packed words, I don't even have time to go through all of them. They may receive forgiveness of their sins and sanctify. That God uses us. There's a lot of people to recognize their sinfulness. You cannot become a Christian until you recognize your sinfulness. Because if you don't know you're supposed to be forgiven, then the whole essence of Christianity, you missed it. So that means you cannot teach a gospel without talking about sin. You need to repent and experience some forgiveness. Is that fair? Just want to make sure we ain't out here talking crazy gospels now, y'all. I was guilty of it in college. I was really nervous about the repentance part because it seemed really difficult. You mean I got, they're going to change? God, they got to change. That's difficult. Let me talk about love and all this stuff. And maybe as we're reading the Bible one day, repentance will come up. Right? And then God convicted me like, you're not teaching a real gospel. You're teaching a heretical gospel, Eric. How many of you, if you're, you're thinking, man, I've taught a heretical gospel sometimes. I've, I've shared a gospel with somebody and I, and I didn't talk about 
judgment. I didn't talk about the reality of a holy God. And he's holy, and we're not. And that you can't be holy without Jesus. Right? He's saying, now now notice this now. We're talking in here. Hey, I don't want you here. I want you in the first century. You know, I saw you tell you, put your first century glasses on. You shouldn't be here. You should be in the first century. There should be dirt around you. You should be dirty and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And remember, he's talking to people right now. Wait a minute. The king, what do you think he's doing here? He's trying to lead this brother to Christ. You know, he could have said, oh, he could. Here's the funny thing. He's there right now to prove his innocence. He's just sharing the gospel. He ain't said, hey, man, I'm innocent. The brothers didn't have nothing on me. No one said anything about me. He, you know how we would be. We'd be proving our innocence. Here's why I'm innocent. King Ripper said, tell me why you're innocent, Paul. He said, well, you're a sinner. And Jesus, we could have destroyed you, but God was great. <laughs> I asked, well, are you innocent? What are you talking about? <laughs> right? He's preaching the gospel to this dude. Don't you love that? And then he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, Agrippa I, was, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I love that. So here's the gospel, gospel of grace, nothing I can do. God could have killed me. He didn't. He said, I'm sending you. Love that. Paul didn't deserve it. Don't you love that? You love him getting the gospel. He didn't deserve it. He deserved death. He was a murderer. God grabs him and says, you didn't do nothing to deserve this, but I'm going to bring you up and save you. Isn't that the gospel? And in my unmerited favor, you're not going to jump through any hoops. I'm making you my child. I'm going to feed you the spirit, and now you're going to be my child. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, guess, guess what here? King Agrippa is like, huh. He says, King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient. The word obedience, if I can pause, is probably the word, I think, one of the words, one of the frameworks in Scripture that Satan attacks. And, I mean, I live here in America for sure. The concept of obedience is so scary for people because we start thinking, I don't want to be a legalist. And we start thinking that to show that we're not a legalist, we kind of kind of try to walk the line of actually disobedience. Can I keep it real? We try to be cruel. We, 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 we don't pursue holiness. We're kind of like, hey, I'm free in Christ. So, you know, versus like, I'm free in Christ. I want to be holy. Like God is holy. It's, I, was, I, was, I was obedient. Look what he says here. I want to give you, and this, you can write these down. I think it's one of the most, most, most important things in a Christian life. And we talk about it a lot in, in, in Mac Ave. And we're not legalistic. We believe in the doctrines of grace. We, we're serious about grace motivation. But, we're, but obedience is, is key toward understanding the love of God. Let me say it like this. Here are five things. I think I have five things that let you know. I think that obedience kind of it shows the importance of obedience. One, obedience is kind of... A proof that you were saved. So that's kind of important. <laughs> right? I'll say it's proof that you're saved. Um, Luke 6.46. Right? Why do you call me Lord? Lord. I love when he says that too, by the way. That's my own history. Why do you call me Lord? He's like, I am Lord. But why do you call me Lord? And not do what I say. And he gives an example of, a, of a, where a house is built. <laughs> He's saying, look. Oh, if you love me, you're obedient. The thing is, it won't just be like a bunch of disobedient Christians walking around heaven. God, we got, we got to, that's, you, you, that's warped. That's not popular to say, but it's biblical. Obedience also 
So number two, it aids worship. It aids worship, meaning that it helps a person worship because in obedience you're recognizing authority. In obedience, you're recognizing, right, basically a person who has authority issues, hello, right, you don't like people telling you nothing, right, that kind of can, can couple and be a cousin to disobedience because you know, you, you know a person recognizes your authority when they obey you, right? If your kids never do what you say, right, if they're disobedient, then who really is the authority figure? Okay? Look what the scripture says. You know, a beautiful text, Matthew 8, the faith of the centurion. I love, I love the way it goes there, right? He's, he comes in, he wants some healing. He wants his individual healed. And Jesus, you know, he says, Jesus, can you help me? Can you heal? And Jesus is about to go, where, where, where are we going? Where are we going? He says, no, 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 no. You ain't going to go nowhere, Jesus? I'm a, I'm a man of authority too. See what he says there? I, I got I mean, well, how do you know? Because I tell somebody to do it, and they do it. You ain't got to go nowhere, Jesus. You running things. I admit that. All you got to do is say it. You ain't going nowhere to sit on down, Jesus. Just say it, please. Because you got authority, bruh. As soon as you say it, I'm straight. And then what, G, what did you, you know, I love the fact, I love what Jesus does there, because I would have too. I, the, the, the context says Jesus marveled at the man. It says Jesus went, you know, like Jesus was street. Jesus was like, I love his brother. You see what he did, John? I mean, that's how Jesus, that's what it, it meant. Jesus like looked at the crew and said, yo, you, you hear what this brother did? That's how I want y'all to act. This brother understands I'm running things. Jesus probably didn't say it like that, but that's what he meant. <laughs> Number three, obedience says you are in control. When you're obeying someone, you're saying, I'm relinquishing intentionally power and saying, you are in control. Do you see why these, they, 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 they're, they're intimately involved in biblical worship? Because they continue to say in different ways that you're not God and he is. That's why obedience is so important to Jesus. Because I want to say it's one of the main modes of saying he's God. Um, number four, obedience is a sign of biblical faith. James 2, right? Verse 14 through 19, you can write that down. That basically, when you're being disobedient, what you're really saying is you don't trust Christ. That's what I'm saying. At that moment, and God is grace, and his grace is, more, is, is bigger than my sin, but when I'm disobedient to God, at that moment, I'm saying, God, I just don't trust you here. I trust me. I trust my idol at that moment. And as a parent, I'm telling you, there's nothing that you have to, because you're training your kids. And for me, I'm a, you know, we're, we're, we're young parents. Our, our oldest are, is eight, going to be nine in August. And I'm telling you, when your kids are intentionally disobedient to you, it's just kind of like, Oh, my goodness. It's like, dude, you don't trust me? And it's, and it's even like a thing where, I mean, it's not even like, when I say disobedience, I'm not talking like you stole something. I'm talking about just even like, I remember I brought up to the body one year. I'm telling Eli, you know, get in, get in the water, man. You know, get in the water. You know, he's doing swimming lessons. Brother wasn't getting in the water. You know? And to me, 
I understand you're young and he's scared and all that stuff. I get it. But you know what I really thought? Like, dude, do you think I'm going to let something happen to you? Dude, I'm daddy. I'll die before I let something happen to you. So for me, it was personal. It was like, no, 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 no. Don't you understand? I'll find a big old thing and, and unplug this pool and let all the water fall out before that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ain't nothing going to happen to you up in here while I'm up in here. So for me, it was like, no, bro. I don't even care about swimming no more. This is a life lesson. I'm daddy, bro. If I tell you to do something, do it because nothing's going to happen to you. That, how do you think our father feels? When he says, no, I want you to say no to that job. No, man. I ain't never got money like this, Jesus. I'm sorry. I just don't know if I can trust you. He goes, oh, my goodness. Hey, man, I want you to, I want you to step out in faith and share your faith. No, I can't. Well, don't you understand? I got you. Don't you understand? I, I want you to move to the hood. Oh, I can't, man. They, they say things happen at night, man. Like, well, no. Don't you understand? I control the world. Come on. I'm daddy. You got to trust me. Please. Number five, obedience is proof that you love the one in which you're obeying. Obedience is proof that you love the one in which you obey, the person in which you're obeying. It's the proof. Jesus says, it's those who keep my commandments, Right? that love me, right? I pause there because Paul is saying, hey, man, God did this thing and I obeyed. I didn't disobey. I said, okay. And guess what? I know in this room, God's saying all kinds of stuff to some people in here and he's telling you to do certain things and he's going to keep doing it. And you're like, man, can I trust God for that? That's scary. Right? God wants me to a new level. He wants me to, he wants me to encourage my husband to, to, for us to read the Bible more as a family. But I don't want to get no argument. Come on now. You know, God is telling me, you know, as a, you know, as a husband, I, I need to confess some things to my wife, you know, and, and like start anew. But I don't want her to think I was weak. So I, 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 I'll just start doing good now. I don't, I don't, need, to go, I don't need to bring it up. Oh, yeah, you do. What's going, on in this, what's going on in this room right now? Where God's like, I want to do some work right now. Where I want you to trust me. I want you to be obedient. He says, hey, I, was, I wasn't disobedient, but verse 20, I declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Repentance is, is part of the gospel, family. You, you're looking at Satan, and you're enjoying the world and its, and its lures, and then repentance is you saying, I'm not going to turn this way. I'm going to turn toward God, and you start enjoying Jesus and learning how to enjoy Christ and his lures. That, that's biblical repentance. It's turning from sin to God. And then performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, right? You don't just have, you know, you don't have a cry fest at the church. That's cool. That's part of the evidence. God makes you sorrowful. You have the cry fest. You turn toward. And he says, guess what happens? He says, then you have deeds that model that it wasn't just an emotional moment. Deeds that make you go this way. 
And I love this. Brother gets saved, just more evidence that he didn't go off that right there to, to the uh, desert. Brother gets saved where? In Damascus. Brother start preaching where? In Damascus. <laughs> Do the math, right? Brother, well, how? Because it began, I'm telling you, six cents, right? Boom. He's like, whoa, okay. Well, let me tell you the gospel. He just filled Jesus in, <laughs> you know? Every, every word that was Messiah, Jesus. <laughs> he, 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 it all came clear. He started preaching right away, the scriptures say. Uh, for this reason, verse 21, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. I love that. So then, why they try to kill him? Why they try to kill him, y'all? Because he was preaching to the Gentiles. This is what this is about. This is a racist issue. This is racism. See what happens? Um, Verse 22, to this day I've, help, I've had the help that comes from God. I love that. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets of Moses said will come to pass. See what he's saying there? I'm chopping it up for you guys. I want you to go back and look at it all together because I don't want to mess up what God is doing in this beautiful pericope. But I love what he says there. He says, hey, you know what? I go out and preaching, uh, I, I, you know, for this reason, I almost get killed. And then he says, but man, I love this. I had the help that comes from God. You know what he's saying? He said, man, I should have been dead three or four times. Okay, he's like, let me, let me tell y'all something. But I had God helping me the whole time, and all I'm doing is telling you what the prophets had already told us. You see what I'm saying, guys? Verse 23, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And look at the response. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Right? Because he's brilliant. They, are, they know he's brilliant. They're like, look, we know you're smart, and you just got too smart, right? And in verse 25, I'm going a little faster because we've got to get out of here. But Paul said, I, I will stay on that verse, and you can, there's some fun things there. Verse 25, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Love the, the Greek notions there. True and rational. He's like, I'm not out of my mind, man. My words are first wise and sober. Love how he makes the distinction. All right? This is not some, you know, shooting from your, your sleeve and all this stuff. This stuff I'm saying is filled with the spirit. It's biblical, biblical wisdom, pure, unadulterated God wisdom, and it's sober. You know, I have no dog in this fight. For the king, you know, look what he does here. You know, I remember Festus said that, right? He says that to Festus, and then he drags the king in again. Remember, he keeps kind of dragging the king in and say, you my boy. And the king is like, no, I'm not. I, I don't He's like, no, you, you know, you, you know, you, you agree with me. And he keeps doing this. And look what he does this time. He says, for the king knows about these things. And, and to him, I speak boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has been done. And none of this has been done in the corner, right? This has not been done in the corner. Boom. What is he saying there? He's saying, I'm not mad. I'm sober. And guess what? The proclamations of Jesus. I mean, remember thousands of people are Christians at this point. Thousands upon thousands. So he knows what's going on. He knows even about the rumors that the Jews stole the body, because that was a rumor circulating at this point. Because they were trying to figure out what do we do, because people are saying Jesus is risen. We can't find a body. We got to do something. Well, the mean Jews pay people off to say, hey, they stole the body. He knows all of that. And so Paul is being brilliant right now by dragging him in. Hey, it's not a secret to this guy. He knows everything. King Agrippa, like, oh my goodness, right? And he says, King Agrippa, now this is great. Do you believe in the prophets? <laughs> Do you believe the prophets? 
He gets, he gets even more intense. Somebody asks you a direct question, right? He was kind of being like theory focused. Now he's like, do you believe in the prophets? Then he says, I know that you believe. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, poor, this poor guy. So like he's reminding him of his Jewishness. He said, I know you believe. And look at this. Now, King Agrippa has a moment right here. What is he going to do? He could identify with Paul, right? You're right, Paul. But if he identifies with Paul, he's in big trouble, right? That if he doesn't identify with Paul and says, I don't believe in the prophets, he's in even bigger trouble, right? Because now you don't believe in the prophets, right? So what do you do? Well, you do what we've seen people do throughout the text. You don't answer the question, all right? Now, that's not biblical training, so I don't want you to learn that be at your job, somebody asks you a hard question, and you just don't answer it. That's not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the catechesis that's going on here. That's a cowardly thing. Christians don't do that, just for clarity. So God isn't like, you taught them not to answer. No, I didn't, Jesus. I taught them to answer the question. This is wrong. They don't answer the question, and look what he says. And Agrippa said to Paul, change the subject on the brother, did the Jedi mind trick. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Right. So he's kind of like, I'm not going to no, know because he asked you, do you believe the prophets? Right. But, but obviously Agrippa sees where he's going because he's been preaching the gospel the whole time to him. He's like, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And here's one of my this is one of my my um, memory verses when I first came to faith. I just love this verse. Verse 29 at the, the end of the verse. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day. Right. I love this might become such as I am. Except these chains. What a beautiful, wonderful word picture that just, man, I remember when I first became a Christian, I just thought, what a cool, what a cool response. He said, can you imagine he's got these chains on? He's like, man, I want you to be everything I am but like this. Yeah, I want you to be a Christian. Everything I am but these chains, I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to experience true life, purpose. I want you to experience that fullness of work that you have in Christ. Look at this. Then the king rose. <laughs> Can you imagine? Still, he answered the question. He tells him, I want you to be a Christian. And it's probably silent. Festus looking at the king like, what's up with y'all? Like, you don't know what's going on. King looking like, you know, don't know what to say. I mean, it's crazy. People watching. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, all just rose up. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another. So, so imagine it, right? He says that to him, and it is kind of like, come on, girl. And it is, they walk off. <laughs> Paul, like, I ain't done yet. Which are y'all going? Right? They walk off, and it says, I love this, and they said to one another, this man is done, doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Now, now, you know why? You know why the author put that in there? Because obviously they kept him. Because, remember, he's writing to Theophilus. Okay? And this is getting circulated. And the author wants to keep reminding you that people are accusing, people are saying things, and they're holding him. But man, unbelievers are testifying that there's no reason why they're doing this. It just reminds them. And it says, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man um, could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So actually, in actuality, he defends Paul. Here's the thing, guys. A lot of texts, you guys are really gracious, uh, a lot of stuff. We end here. Think of the life of Paul. I just want you to think of these three questions right here. First, you're hearing Paul's story. You're seeing this unbridled hope. 
How does somebody continue to stand up week after week? We've been reading and seeing him talk to three different councils in the same robust wisdom and gospel-centered integrity we're seeing in different ways and manifestations. You can't tell me that hope, the hope in the, in the, in the, in the resurrection, the hope in, in understanding new creation, the hope in the now, not yet, and the Holy Spirit isn't fueling this brother to not thwart his testimony. So the question that I'll just ask all of us as people of God is how does hope influence your life? Because hope influenced him to the point where he was willing each time they could have responded with, we're just going to kill you. He never stopped preaching the gospel. For heaven's sake, they asked him to tell me why you're innocent, and he never did that. He just said, yeah, because I taught, because I preached the gospel. I mean, I love how he did that. He could have said because of all these things, but he said, I'm innocent because I preach what you've been learning your whole life. <laughs> Are you kidding me? How does faith influence your life, right? Faith in Christ, how does it, how does it influence your life? How, how, how do, you, do you go through your day and, like, your faith in Christ just doesn't, I, I just, I'm, per, I'm perceiving, I know in my own life, by God's grace, I feel like there's moment by moment throughout the day where I'm steered differently because of my posture of belief and faith in Christ. Right? That if I was an unbeliever, I would do this. <laughs> but because I'm a believer, I do this. Right? Ask yourself. My prayer is I pray that, man, we would have countless opportunities where we're choosing faith in Christ. And then how does gospel-centered obedience influence your life? We already labored on that for a while, guys. We see a cool manifestation in Paul. We see a cool testimony of a brother who's in chains, who basically in the next few years, he's going to end up dead. They're going to kill him. And uh, we're just seeing a guy who's unwavering. And he's just continually proclaiming the good news that only in Christ's life that we deserve death. You don't got to jump through hoops. It says faith in Christ. Where does faith come from? Grace in Jesus. That Jesus gives us that grace to say, I want to believe Jesus as my king. And I'm not gonna, I don't have to jump through hoops, but I'm putting my faith and my hope in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to repent of my sin. I want to acknowledge I'm sinful, that I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman, that I thought I was king, you're king. I want to give my life to you. Will you forgive me of my sins and come in my life and be my Lord? I want to repent and change my ways and see you do a work. God says that he says, he promises. When we say, Lord, I want to give myself to you, he takes you. He embraces you. He protects you. He washes you. He cleanses you. He makes you his own by grace. Now, the world tells you, no, no, nothing's free. Well, no, yeah, salvation. It's a gift from God. My prayer, our prayers, leaders, that we don't ever want you to leave this room and still not be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin, from death, from Satan grappling and holding you. I want you to leave here free from sin and death and Satan and evil. That's our prayer. May the Lord be exalted today. Here's what we're doing. We're going to do tithe and offering.